continuing on this morning in the gospel in the moment. And uh, this week, I want to start looking at this idea of uh, what do we look like? What do we sound like? What do we act like in the moment? What does that moment look like? <clears throat> Last week, we began to understand this idea that, uh, and I'm, I'm really kind of giving you imagery from the Bible. Uh, so if, if you know the Bible, then you will know some of this, and some of it we'll use passages and the things from last week. I'm not going to pull the scriptures on that again. But understand that this is the position of the scripture. Uh, the scripture calls people who are, are, are walking with God again through Jesus a new creation. They're, they're really made new. They're, they're kind of rebuilt, restored, made different than they were. And, and this idea that we were disconnected, we'll go over this a little bit more uh, shortly, but this idea that uh, mankind was disconnected, and then that is restored with God, and that makes us totally different as creation. And, and what this does is because we walk with God, the people who, who walk with God through Jesus, um, they now become what, what I'm calling in this language a people of the moment. And, and that God's appeal is through, is through the people of the moment, his appeal to the world. And so uh, the gospel is at work uh, through you, through me, through those uh, who are in Christ, touching many, touching the people. That's, that's the purpose that we live out in the moment. And what I was really wanting us to understand is that all we have is the moment. That's all we have. We can't fix yesterday. I, I can't, there's some things from yesterday I'd like to fix, actually. can't fix those things. Um, meaning I can't affect those things. Doesn't mean that God can't fix some of those things, but it means I can't. And I can't fix things that are yet to come. But where I am active, where we are potent, where we are powerful, is in the moment, right now. Right now, we are able to fully engage the reality around us. It makes us critical wherever we are. And I, I often think we, um, great moments, uh, most people don't know their great moments in the moment. I mean, if you, <clears throat> you know, just skated at the Olympics and, and uh, you know you scored a 9 or a 10, you know this is going to be a moment. Even if you're not feeling it in the moment, you know, okay, this is going to go down in the books, I'm going to get to stand on the podium, you know, they're going to sing an anthem, whatever. But most of us working in the power of the moment can't see that. And so we have to treat every moment as though it has that potential because it does. I mean, if you were to look at Jesus hanging on a cross, beaten, you know, very few people would be standing around going, this is his best moment. He is really impressing us today. I think people would go, not his best day, not his best moment. That can be true of us as well. When we Look at life and the reversals that come and the things that come. What are we doing? What's happening in those moments that have something substantial in them? I, uh, I saw part of a special. 
I think it was called the, the Book of Manning. And I don't know, you, probably many of you know who Peyton Manning is or Eli Manning. Uh, Peyton was a quarterback for the Broncos and for the Colts. Uh, <clears throat> Eli Manning, I think, is, is quarterback for New York at this time. And if you're a little bit older, you might know who Archie Manning was. That was their dad. And you might know who Cooper Manning was. And that was the oldest son of the three boys. Now, if you don't know much about Archie, he had the, the skill and the talent of his kids. He was, he was an incredible quarterback, an incredible ball player. He played all of his career in New Orleans with a really sucky team. And they never had a winning season the whole time he was there. And people complained about, you wasted your career. You wasted your talent. You wasted your life. But Archie Manning was investing in people, not a career. He saw himself as a man, as a dad, as a husband, not as a pro football player. You see, he was looking at the moment different than most people do when they look at stardom. He was not seeing stardom as the pearl of great price. He saw it as a job that he was good at. And he said, I look at my years in New Orleans, I don't think I wasted my years. The, the team was good to me. The town was good to me. They were good to my family. And what's amazing is his sons grew up idolizing him as the man, not as the quarterback. In fact, when you see it, it goes back in time, and there are boys growing up, and you see they have Cowboys jerseys on. And, 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 and when they ask, who's your favorite team? It was never the Saints. Who's your favorite player? It was never their dad. It was always somebody else, Roger Staubach or somebody like that. You see, he wasn't a pro player to them. He was dad. When his boys grew up, they wanted to be like their dad. You know what they said? They wanted to be a good man. You know how many moments Archie Manning had to live keeping his eye on the ball, no pun intended, that was important. And when you see the book of Manning, you, you're in awe of this man. You're in awe of who he is, of who his family says he is, who his, his team says he was and still is. Even when they try to get him to take some glory, come to his son's games, he comes to his games, but he... He comes in almost a disguise because it's not my day. It's their day. It's their moment. It's not my moment. And I'm not going to take anything that goes to my kids. You see, he's a man that has a grasp of the moment and the power of it and what it can do. I had a... Somebody married to my cousin. I'm not sure what that is. 
cousin-esque. Um, cousin by marriage. Um, she was about that tall, petite, pretty, and uh, had been married to my cousin for a number of years. I had not met her before. I met her at a family reunion, and we had to wash like, you know, 4,000 pounds of dishes together. So we got to know one another. And uh, she was just a great person, just really had a heart for people, loved Jesus. And as we're talking, you know, this little, you know, middle-class white chick, you know. And she's at, I, I say that for a purpose, um, she's got the troubled kid class in her school. And they're, you know, gangbangers, and they're all cultures and all kinds of denominations of folk. And uh, she looks like she would be just overwhelmed. But she loved that class. She loved those people. That was her story. She saw value in her life. Not long, and I, I, I come to really believe she was amazing. And not long after that day, she had a horse, and she was riding her horse, and her horse tripped and fell and fell on top of her. And she was crushed. And she died at 27 years old. Just a school teacher. And I go to her funeral up in East Texas. And there's the chapel over here. And there's this tree. And by this tree is like, you know, 50 lowriders. And there's like 100 people gathered around this tree. They were her students. They were weeping. And they came in at the end and they filled this place up. And you could see the power of her life. You could see what she had done with her moments. That on her tombstone, nobody wants to say, you know, gone golfing or something like that. Nothing wrong with those kinds of statements. I'm saying the greatness of the moment is rarely identified in the moment. So we have to be willing to participate in the moment in such a way that it captures life. You see, to be restored with God means that we are equipped to full measure of power and love to operate on God's behalf in the world. And we began to be in a place where we can be moment makers. We can be moment makers with Jesus. You see, if, if I were to say anything to Christians today, I'd probably say, are you, are you moment people in who you are? 
Because the moment is everything. And if in this moment I'm living it to the fullest extent of its potential, I will never regret this moment, will I? I will not live with any regrets. I will have executed my moments with the greatest of opportunity. As we look at the gospel story again, to pull it together, just looking again at what Scripture says, it says, in the beginning God created mankind, and it says God walked with mankind. They walked together. And then a time came when mankind separated from God, not realizing that he was never created to walk alone. I kind of used in the example the Mars rover. It, it can do all kinds of things, but when it's not connected to Earth, it fails to achieve what it was always designed to achieve. That's us, not connected with God. And you see, losing this core connection, then we begin to search for things to fill that. We know it's empty. We know something needs to go there. So our philosophies, our religions, our government, even Christianity, our social systems, our moral code, our value systems, our beliefs of right and wrong, all of that is this effort we have, just an innate effort, to fill the hole that once was God. And, and around the world, and I mentioned this, all the things going on around the world, this is just people doing that. The violence in the world that you see, the struggle in the world, the political struggle, the upheaval in the world, all the places where walls are being built, it's all about pursuing those things we think are right or true or just. Just a few people here. Hugo Chavez. Did you know he's a baseball player? He was a good baseball player. That's him right there. <clears throat> he actually went on. You probably can't read this at the bottom. Um, but they went on um, to play for the Venezuelan National Baseball Championship. The next picture we have of him, he's actually pitching to Sammy Sosa. And the... Uh, It's supposed to be DR, Dominican Republic games. I thought, I don't know what that is. It's because it doesn't exist. <laughs> and Hugo Chavez was always a passionate man for the poor. He grew up poor. He lived poor. When he went to Caracas, he saw the poverty around him. He wanted to be a champion for the poor. I, I think his heart was good. He cared for the poor. But that drove him to hate the affluent, to hate the rich. It drove him in ways that created what they have in Venezuela today. It started in his core, the core that he built. Fidel Castro, very similar story, going against the corruption, going against the problems for the have-nots in Cuba. We have a friend 
He's a pastor in Cuba. He makes $20 a month. His daughter is a medical doctor. She makes $25 a month. That's trying to make it all equal. The next picture, if you could read the small print, you can know who that is, who's circled. That's Osama bin Laden in the 70s. Looks a little different than the ways you've seen him. He was just a normal teenager. He liked Coca-Cola and I Love Lucy. But he saw the corruption. And he had a religious place inside him. And he became someone who championed. These are people of the moment. But you see, their core is filled with things they have gathered out of right and wrong and experiences. We all do that. We all have that capacity. We all do that. The next one, al-Baghdadi. If you don't know who that is, he is the leader of ISIS. You see him there in the right as the family man. His wife says that before all this, he was a great dad, was a great husband. He was a lecturer at the university. But he was driven by injustice. He was driven by corruption. He was driven by things that formulated his core in a way that he lives his convictions today in ISIS. We could say the same thing about Gandhi, Martin Luther King, George Washington, the forefathers of our country, me, you. You see, and when Jesus comes into our life, what he wants to do is he says, can I have access to your core? I'm going to start reconnecting you to God's truth. If you are formed only by injustice, you will have a very dark view of humanity. If you want uh, your kids to know about the injustices that are going on in the world, and you start downloading all the injustice, I'm talking about horrible atrocities going on, your kid will die of suicide probably because the injustice is huge. It doesn't begin with identifying all the flaws of humanity. It begins with you and I in our moment allowing God to restore a core that doesn't have to go dark to change the world. In the Old Testament, God's promises, he's got the story there that he is in pursuit of mankind to restore that which has been lost. And then in the New Testament, we see that story come to pass in the events of Jesus living, dying, and the resurrection. It says through Jesus. What happened is this through Jesus, God has restored relationship between God and man. He's beginning to revitalize the core. That's why we see in the New Testament these statements that sound so contrary to how we live. Things like, love your enemies, 
It says, pray for those who persecute you. That's saying, represent before God for blessings the people who are making your life hell. You see, it's this kind of language that if you read the New Testament, you can say, that's crazy. I mean, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't, that's not doable. That's, that's what you come up with. Okay, that's not doable. But it is in Christ. He allows us, he makes it possible to do those things. You see, one is for the core to know and the other is the power to do it, to pull it off. And so what happens? That relationship restored. The core of man could now be filled by God once again. And then God dealt with all the past wrongs between God and man and between man and man. All who find him are restored become a witness and an example of this great message, the great news. You see, it was always God's plan to restore each of us to be a visible, touchable message to the world. That's who we are. We're a visible, touchable message to the world. Now, I am very aware that much of the church may not reflect a different core. I, I'm, I know that's, that's a true thing. But I want to say, perhaps the church also struggles to be aware. Perhaps the church struggles with separating itself, not from the world, but from the package the world offers. You see, that's the dilemma. I was talking to somebody in our church. You guys know what a pick and roll is? You know, <clears throat> no, it's a, it is a basketball thing. Um, uh, Mike, why don't you come up here and why don't you guys demonstrate a pick and roll? We need one more, I guess. He's going to show you his moves, so watch out. You're going to prepare to be impressed. Yeah, we need one more person. Um, um, one of you guys, or a girl, I don't care. Give me somebody. Go. These guys will set you up. He can be the defender. So you defend me, I got the ball, right? So what I'm going to do is, that's the basket. Bill's the basket. I'm the basket. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the ball here. I'm gonna, I'll go this way. What I'm going to do is, he's guarding me. You guard me, right? You come up, you set a pick, all right? Yeah, that's it. So when I'm going this way, he sets the pick, he blocks him. Here I am right here. Now, when you set that pick, you can turn and roll that way. And I can throw you the ball. That's right. He can spin around. You do this, you set the block, and I go past, and then you turn this way toward the basket. Oh, so that's a pick and roll. So, 
Why? Thank you, gentlemen. So why? Why would I have that demonstrated? And here's the reason why. When you are following your person, when you are following your cause, when there is injustice, when something is pushing you, you're going to run into the defender. You're going to run into the obstacle. If my injustice drives me, if I say corruption is evil, all people who are in power are corrupt, therefore all of you have to die, that becomes the pick. You see, and if I'm going to follow my cause, I will hit it. I will have to do something. You see, if I'm going to make the cause, my cause, my purpose, my God, I will hit that. I have to. If I'm going to follow that injustice, I will have to. You see, that's the challenge that the Scripture steps into, and it says, God is a God of justice, but don't think that you can create justice. He died because of injustice. We can live for we can live for justice. We can be a champion for justice. But at the end of the day, if justice is more important to you than love and hope and compassion, you will hit the pick and you will fail. That's what happens to us. When the cause that drives us takes the place in our core. And what the scripture says is, let me give you a more excellent way. That's part of our message. That's what, part of, that's what people have to see. They have to see people who don't see hateable people as an option we can't go against. Our message, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, hearing the message. The message is heard through the word about Christ. People need to know they have a choice. I don't have to hate my enemy. I don't have to hate my enemy. There's a lot of freedom. If you don't have to hate your enemies, if the people that make your life hell, you don't have to despise them, you can even choose to bless them. You might say, boy, that, that sounds like that will not have a good ending. No, what doesn't have a good ending is when we hate our enemies. It does not have a good ending. It never has a good ending. Genocide is about getting rid of your enemies. That's all it is. It's just trying to make the world a better place. If my conviction is those people are despicable and they make the world a worse place, then I have to do something. That's the pick. I've just run in to the thing that stops me. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Folks, we need to love the message. We need to love our message. Be good at our message. We have a message that's 
got wide open arms that embraces anybody and everybody. That's the message. Wide open arms. It embraces anybody and everybody. The message, God is pursuing mankind to restore and to heal and to save all. He is after all, no matter who they are, what they've done or are doing. His motivation toward mankind is love. Not making them better, not making them right, but it is love. That's his motivation. His intentions are to make all things right. He will get things right. He can make them right with life and humanity. But see, when we get to the other pieces, it's about how the message is packaged. So, if I hate gays, if I hate Hillary and I hate Trump, if I hate communists, I think we ought to nuke Iran and Russia. God bless us. Wave my flag. It, it doesn't matter. If, if those are the things that are driving me, then that becomes the package. That becomes the package. That's what people see. That's what they touch. If I love Trump, hate Hillary, that becomes the package. The scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's the package. That's the package. That's what the moment needs to look like. It needs to be characterized with those elements. They need to be visible, understandable, attainable touchable people know me do they know me as a as a person of of love and the attributes of love grace kindness today i want to pick one of those to finish with i want to pick hope we travel in the world some here some of us do and um, I would say the world is as much on edge as I've seen in 50 years. There is talk of nuclear war in several places across the world. There's famine, there's hunger, there's genocide, country rising against country, ethnic group against ethnic group, power plays here. I'm talking about these are happening here too. I find that people don't have a lot of hope. But you see, that's a characteristic of someone who walks with Jesus. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see that. It really does take the Holy Spirit for you to overflow with hope. We have a lot of things that challenges hope. We have a lot of things that 
comes after our hope, the hope of the people around us. We are a people of hope. People need hope. They need some people out there to be lights of hope. Hope is not easy in an adverse environment. But the scripture knows that. That's what it's talking about. That's what it's saying. That not only do you need hope, you will need hope to pull this off. You will need hope. You will need to believe beyond what you see. You will need that hope. And that'll be one of the greatest things that you can give someone else is hope. We see how rough it is. We start looking in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. There's love. You will keep loving others as long as life goes on in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Seize the moment. Do you know how often people around us the words they say, the language they say, they need hope. And we could step into that moment and we could speak hope over them. We could bring hope and encouragement to them. We become that moment for others. We go on in chapter 6, verse 18. I pulled this out of the message. I really liked it. A uh, <clears throat> little less old school language. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest. In another translation, it says it like this, Hope becomes the anchor of your soul, and it's anchored to the very throne of God. So why would you need such an anchor? Because we are in a hopeless place, because we are in a place that struggles. We are in a place that has lots of reversals, and my, my belief is our world and our country will continue to struggle with that. You're going to need an anchor of hope. You're going to need to have that place inside you that's provided from a core with Jesus where you feel safe or you feel like, I'm good no matter what is going on. In the moment, we can always bring the hope. It's difficult to find a part of the world that isn't struggling. It's difficult to find people that aren't struggling. Most of the time, as a pastor, when I get a call, it's a struggle call. 
It's a crisis call. It's a struggle. It's about divorce and cancer and deportation and the loss of a child, loss of a parent. It's about sexual abuse. It's a place that is in desperate need of hope. And that becomes our moment. It's what makes you and I a people of destiny. Great moments are right now. They are the place that we live right now. Jesus empowers the moment where I can love my enemies. I can pray for those. I can bless those who's making my life hell. When I can speak to the parents of a teenager that just committed suicide and can have the audacity to speak of hope. And what I find is they desperately need hope. A couple of years ago, I got a call to do a funeral for an infant who passed away the day before it was delivered. So this mom had to deliver this child, a deceased baby. Just a terrible thing, isn't it? It's the broken world that we live in. It's what Jesus died for, is just such a world that's broken hopelessly. What can possibly make that mom and dad okay again? What can possibly do that? This is going to sound morbid. I like doing funerals more than weddings. But it's because I believe they are moments devoid of hope. And it's a place where we can play. We have something we bring to the table. They need hope. And I'll tell you, They don't care where it comes from. And there were about 300 people at this funeral. But the most important thing is God came. And this mom and this dad had a great experience.
they were able to see hope. They were able to find hope. For them, that was a moment that was really important. And that's what made it important to me. If you would stand. <clears throat>